So, as some of you know, I enjoy uh, listening to podcasts. And one of the podcasts I've been listening to on and off is LeVar Burton's uh, podcast, LeVar Burton Reads. Now, if you don't know who LeVar Burton is, that's okay. Uh, kids, go look up Reading Rainbow on the, uh, on the old YouTube, and, uh, or go back and watch some old Star Trek, and you'll run into LeVar Burton. Uh, you don't have to take my word for it. Ah, see, that's a good Reading Rainbow LeVar Burton joke if you, uh, if you know about it. But uh, LeVar Burton has this incredible voice. Um, and a lot of kids in America learn to read with LeVar Burton through Reading Rainbow. But he has a new podcast now where he will read these short stories and you just listen along. And so it's a lot of fun. He has a very uh, engaging, soothing voice. And so I'll listen to it from time to time. And he had a podcast recently in which he read a story about a gentleman who went to a thrift store and he bought an overcoat. And when, as he took the overcoat home, he noticed something when he put his hands in his pockets. There were these little slips of white paper in the pockets of this overcoat. And he took them out and started to read through them and noticed that they were very strange sayings on the pieces of paper. They sounded like prayers. And he got a little further along, and he realized that at the thrift store, he had purchased God's overcoat. And all of our prayers ended up in God's pockets on these little slips of white paper. And so for a while, he was fascinated by the fact that he had access to all the prayers of the people in the world. And he would run into somebody on the street and immediately know what they were praying for at that time. And so he was able to play almost a superhero role by answering prayers of people that he encountered. But pretty soon, not surprisingly, you find out that the weight of knowing all these prayers and finding these little slips of white paper in his pockets became more that he could handle. And so one day he met a lady uh, and took her out on a little date. They went to a Chinese restaurant. They went out to get coffee. Somewhere along the way, though, he lost this overcoat. He left it behind, and this whole weight of having to play God was taken off his shoulders, but the story ends in kind of a funny way because the local Chinese restaurant becomes famous for its fortune cookies. Um, they begin to take these little slips of white paper and put them in their fortune cookies, and they are known all around for having the most insightful slips of white paper inside a fortune cookie of any restaurant ever known to mankind. So anyway, it's kind of a, it's a silly little story, but it reminded me of the way that the subject of prayer crosses boundaries. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, there may still be a time that you ask someone to pray for you. You may not believe necessarily in the power of prayer, but you would still be willing to have someone pray for you. Even people who maybe don't consider themselves particularly religious are still interested in the topic of prayer. What we're going to do this morning, and what we're going to do over the next few weeks, is we are calling the series we're in, e May Us. Like it? Yeah, it's pretty good. It's stretching. It's maybe a little bit too much of a stretch. But during the month of May, we're going to go through a series called Emmaus, and we're going to talk about those foundational aspects 
for us as a church. You may have seen the show, This Is Us. Uh, we're not going to cry as much as you would in This Is Us. We're not going to hopefully have as much drama as you would have in This Is Us and all the things I run into. But what is it that brings us together as a church? And so over the next several weeks, we're going to look at those pieces. And each of those pieces is going to come from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. That passage of scripture that is called the Great Commission, where Jesus speaks to his followers and says, this is what you're going to do. This is what I'm sending you out to do. How do we do that as a church family? This morning, we're going to focus on up, that idea of worship, and specifically, we're going to talk about prayer. Next week, we're going to talk about in, how God draws us in as families, the way he works in our lives through family worship, through discipleship, through knowing his word, studying that as a part of Mother's Day. Our little preschoolers are going to sing for us uh, next week as well as part of our Mother's Day service. May the 20th, we're going to focus on the out. At Emmaus, we talk about up, in, out. This week is up, focused on prayer. Next week, in, focused on how God brings us together. The third week, May 20th, is the five-year anniversary of the, not the only tornado, obviously, that has come through here, but one of the most significant tornadoes that's come through here in recent times. And so on May 20th, we're going to meet here at 8.30 for a worship service, and then we're going to send our church family out in the community to do service projects, to go out and to care for people and love people and share the gospel with people. And then on May the 27th, we're going to wrap it all up by talking about endurance. How do you keep going? Yeah, I believe in worship. Yeah, I believe in Bible study. Yeah, I believe in missions. How do you keep going, though? How do you not stop? So that's the game plan. That's where we're headed during the month of May. If you're new to Emmaus, this is a great chance to get an idea of what we're trying to do, what we're focused on. Hopefully this will be a gift for you. If you've been a part of Emmaus for a long time, that this would be a reminder of who are we? What has God called us to do? Who has God called us to be? This morning, we focus on prayer, specifically out of Matthew chapter 28. So without further ado, let me get over there to Matthew chapter 28. Verses are on the screen as well, if you don't have access to them in front of you. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. This follows after the resurrection of Jesus, which works perfectly with where we've been as a church because we looked at, or we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, all about the resurrection. That pointed us to last week where Jim helped us work out what are some of the implications of the resurrection. How does the resurrection impact our lives? Here in Matthew 28, you have the disciples coming to Jesus after the resurrection, and he says, now here's what I'm sending you to do. And in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Hopefully it feels a little strange to you that you would see the word worship next to the word doubt. What's going on there? Jesus has been raised from the dead. How could people still doubt at this point? How can worship go together with doubt? Here's the first thing to be aware of. The word doubt there is not the idea of being cynical. It's not the idea of being completely closed off to the things of the Lord. It has more the idea of hesitation, uncertainty. 
God, I don't know fully what you're doing here. I'm still not sure of everything. There's an uncertainty that's involved. And just to be honest, one of the things that keeps some people away from Christianity is the feeling of, I don't know everything. If I had all the answers, if I had it all figured out, then yeah, yeah, I I probably would follow after Jesus. But the reality is there are going to be some things we are not going to know. There are those moments of hesitation. There are those moments of doubt. There are those moments of uncertainty. And we still worship the Lord. We still give ourselves fully to him. There's one other place in scripture that you find the word worship next to the word doubt. And it comes in the book of Mark. Actually, it may be also, which verses are we using on the screen? Oh, the, the, it's the verses out of Matthew. Matthew chapter 14. When Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the Son of God. This is the famous story of walking on water, and Peter begins to walk on water, and he's focused on the Lord, but the moment he puts his eyes on the storm, sees the circumstances around him, begins to doubt, he begins to sink. Jesus reaches out, pulls him up, and says, why did you doubt? Why this hesitation? Why did you not understand? Here's the key. Why did you not understand the full authority and full power that I have? Because when you know my power and you know my authority, that will give you the faith, that will give you the courage to worship. Here's the connection. The very next verse is in the book of Matthew 28. Right after the word doubt in verse 17 of Matthew 28, look what happens next. Verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on an earth in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 17, there's this reality of doubt. Peter doubted in Matthew 14. Jesus said, "I need you to see the power and authority I have." Verse 18 right here, Jesus comes and says, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." Here's where I want to make the connection with prayer and worship. At Emmaus, we talk about we want to give ourselves up toward God. We want to focus up. We do that through worship as we gather to sing. We do that as we trust, as we put our eyes on the things of the Lord. And especially, we do that through prayer. Praise and prayer are those two forms of focusing ourselves up on the things of God. How do I do this? Well, there's one barrier to prayer that you have to overcome that's listed first on your notes. If you've got a copy of the bulletin and you want to look on the back of that, there's some notes that will guide us through our time together. One of the first barriers to prayer is when it's not based on Jesus' authority, and so it begins to feel powerless and it lacks faith. If prayer is simply about me trying to get some things off my chest, or prayer even worse is just about talking to the big man upstairs, we've missed how prayer is a form of worship. I know that language, big man upstairs, is kind of a colloquial idea that we use, and and I don't mean to get off on a tangent against something like that. I would just say be cautious 
uh, very cautious about that type of language. God is not just the big man uh, upstairs. He is the creator of all that exists. And not only the creator of all that exists, he is the judge of all that exists. And so to talk about prayer just as speaking something to the big man upstairs misses that element of worship, misses that element of power and faith that is involved in prayer. In these verses that we're looking at this morning, there are two main verbs that are given. Grammar nerds uh, among us, including myself, would call these the two imperatives of these verses. There are two main imperatives. We're going to look at one here in just a second. Up here, the word behold is what I want you to see right now. After Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given me, he says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Behold means look up here. Pay attention. Remember, Jesus is about to ascend back into heaven. He's about to send his disciples out. And he says, before I do that, I need you to pay attention to something. I need you to get this. I need you to understand my power. Because if you don't understand my authority and you don't understand my power, you're going to begin living a life that doesn't have that power and doesn't have that faith and doesn't have that focus that it needs to have. Behold, look to me. A barrier to prayer is when our eyes are not focused on the power and the majesty and the greatness of God. You say, why do I struggle with praying? Why do I struggle with not praying as much as I should? One of the reasons we don't pray as much as we should is because we don't truly believe God has the power that he really has. But when we look up and say, behold, look here, nothing goes above his authority and nothing goes beyond his reach. Sometimes in life we'll say, I've had it up to here. It feels like life has come right up to here. Nothing can go over the head of Jesus Christ. I know that's a little cheesy way to say it, but don't miss the power of that. Nothing goes above his authority. There's nothing above him, and there's nothing beyond him. Whatever you're in the middle of right now, it cannot extend beyond the reach of Christ because he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Whatever you are facing right now is not the end of the story. Whatever you're facing now is not able to overcome you, not because of your greatness, but because of his greatness. And when we see that and we take hold of that, it drives us to pray because we know that he is in control and we know that he is at work. And so when you leave today, here's what I'm trying to get at. I don't want you to leave feeling guilty that you don't pray more than you do because guilt about not praying very much just leads to not praying very much. Guilt is not a great motivator when it comes to prayer, but what is a great motivator is when you behold your God. When you see his great authority and you see his great power and you know it stretches beyond whatever you're facing right now, that will drive you to prayer. Not feeling guilty about I'm not doing this religious observance as much as I should. There's so much more to that. A second barrier to prayer that we're going to get to here is that when it's not based on Jesus' mission. Look at verse 19 there. Verse 19, after Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, then he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
prayer feels very weak, and, and I would even use this word. Prayer begins to feel very meaningless when it's not focused on the mission that Jesus has given us. Prayer feels powerless when we don't know his authority. It feels meaningless when we don't know his mission. What's the mission he's given us? It's underlined up there. Make disciples. Remember, two imperatives, two main commands. Behold your God, make disciples. See how great he is, see what he's called you to do. Behold, make disciples. How do you make disciples? Make disciples is language that we use a lot, but making sure we understand what's involved there. It's helping someone else know what it means to follow after the Lord. How do you do that? You go. Most people, most people are not going to come to us and say, hey, tell me how to be saved. Sometimes that happens, but, but rarely. Often there's a going element. Baptize, lead that person to give their life to the things of the Lord, baptize, and then teaching them not just information. This is where we fall off the track sometimes. Not just teaching them information, but teaching them to obey, to observe, to do the things that God has called them to do. This is the mission that God has given us. What does this have to do with prayer? When we pray, going, baptizing, teaching to observe, focuses our prayers on the things that God has really called us to do. Sometimes the reason prayer feels so meaningless is we're praying about things that God has never told us to give our attention to. Are we praying that we would go? Are we praying that people would be saved? Are we praying that people would learn to follow the Lord? Here's where this is so helpful. Grandparents, parents, godparents, I know you have dreams for your kids. And I know you have dreams for your grandkids. What you want to see them do, what you want to see their lives be about. Pray these things for them. Pray that they would be baptized. Pray that they would learn to observe the things of the Lord and pray that they would go. Pray that they would go out telling other people about that good news. God, I can't control my kids. I can't control my grandkids. I, you have all authority. I recognize that. You've also given us a plan. That plan is to make disciples. So when I pray for my kids, that's what I want to pray, that they would be disciple makers, that they would be baptizers, that they would be teachers, and that they would be goers. Because our greatest need is not to protect our kids, it's to unleash our kids, but to unleash them in the right direction. That they would have their eyes so set on the things of Christ that they would say, all I want to do is give my life to making disciples. I want to baptize, I want to teach, and I want to go. And so when we pray, we're not praying, hey God, help us to have a good day today. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, sure, we, we have those prayers. We have those prayers with our kids. But we're praying ultimately toward the direction of make disciples. Baptize, teach, go. Which provides a framework for prayer at Emmaus. I know you get tired of this, but we're just going to keep plugging along with it, okay? The reason I think that up, in, out, baptize, teach, go is so important is because one of the things that happens in prayer is we get so incredibly distracted. I would be embarrassed beyond measure to tell you the number of times that I've fallen asleep while praying. Um, 
Not that you've ever done that, uh, but I have a lot of experience uh, of, of falling asleep in prayer. Or you begin to pray, and 45 seconds into praying, a minute and a half into praying, your mind is so far into left field that you think, uh, it's like the, if you give a, you know, a mouse a cookie or you give a moose a muffin book and like this leads to this, leads to this, leads to this and our minds start putting these, and you're like, ah, I, just, I was just trying to pray and now my mind has gone in a hundred different directions. I have no idea what I set out to do. Having a framework for prayer helps because it focuses us on those things that are most important. Trusting Jesus, being baptized, praising him, Parents, pray those things for your kids. Grandparents, pray, pray that they would trust Jesus, that they would be baptized, and that they would praise him. Discipleship, oh, this is so important in prayer. The reason we pray for our kids and grandkids is because we realize their greatest need is not to conform to religious observations. Their greatest need is to be changed from the inside out. And as parents, and I'll tell you this as, as a young parent, and all of you have this figured out already, but it's taken me a while. One of the hardest realizations to come to is the realization that you can't change someone else's life from the inside out. That it's something that has to happen by the power of God. And so bring your kids to church, absolutely. Read the Bible with them, absolutely. Teach them to do the right things, absolutely. But there's a greater transformation that only comes through the power of God. And so you're praying, you're putting them in situations where that change would happen from the inside out. How does this happen? Well, it happens as they hear the word of God preached. It has, happens as they participate in programs at church. It happens as they have personal relationships. It happens as you as parents influence them. It happens as they're just in their rooms praying and reading the Bible and they come out and say, Mom, Dad, I wanna pray to, to trust Jesus. And you're like, well, we've been leading you in that way for so long, and now it's just in your little heart. It, it all took root, and that's what you want to happen. We're praying for inside-out change. When you're praying for people in your life, pray for this to happen, this inside-out change. And then out missions, we're praying that God would send out missionaries, send out pastors, send out, here's where you have to be careful, send out teachers, Lawyers, doctors, moms, dads, high school graduates this morning. The most important word that Jaron used when he was talking to you was the word commissioning. As a church, we are commissioning you. We are sending you out. Whatever God calls you to do, you are going to make disciples. Not going to have the most successful life possible. Not going to make the most money going to make disciples, that that is the focus. That's what we continue to pray for you. A couple of helps as we think about this. Number one, a couple of helps for prayer, just very practical type things in your life. If you say, you know what, I'd love to pray for my kids, my grandkids. I just struggle with prayer in general. How do I, how do, I do this? One, pray on the spot, in person, whenever possible. Okay, there was a, a blog article written a couple of years ago by a well-known pastor, and it was entitled uh, seven, past, or seven Lies Pastors Tell, <laughs> and number one was, I'm praying for you. Uh, 
We all dread the phrase, I'm praying for you, because our cynical side kicks in, and deep down we think, probably not. <laughs> you, you probably just said, I'm praying for you, as a way to move on to the next part of the conversation. I've personally, and this is just a personal conviction, I've tried to become very cautious about using the phrase, I'm praying for you, because number one, I know my own forgetfulness, and number two, I know my own cynicism. So whenever possible, instead of saying, I'm praying for you, just pray for the person. Right there, on the spot, in person. Because number one, it's gonna be more meaningful to them to pray for them at that moment on the spot. Number two, good chance you're gonna forget uh, by the time that you've, you've walked away. Here's my hope, one of my hopes for, for Emmaus, is that when we gather together for worship, that we would fill our hallways and our sidewalks with impromptu prayers. That you couldn't get down the hallway or down a sidewalk with having a, without having to walk around someone praying for someone else. When you come on Sunday mornings, one of the battles that we fight is Sunday morning gathered worship can feel very passive. You sit and listen, you sit and watch, you, you sit and then you go home. How do we make it more active? One of the ways you make it more active, more participatory, is one of your most important things when you come on Sunday morning is, how can I come but not leave until I've prayed for someone? In person, on the spot, because I know of something they're facing in their life, because I care for them, because I'm reaching out for them. At work, you can do this. At school, you can do this. I know you don't want to be the showy religious people at school. I understand the danger of that. I know it feels weird. You're in the hallway praying for somebody and people are snickering off to the side. But that's something you can do. If you know somebody who needs prayer, pray for them in the office. Pray for them in the hallway at school. Pray for them in your neighborhood. Pray on the spot, in person, because it's so much better than just saying, I'm praying for you, uh, and, and then going away. Number two, Pray spontaneously through text, email, handwritten notes, social media, phone calls. Sometimes God will just put someone on your heart. If you'll send them a message, send them a text message, send them a handwritten note. If God puts somebody on my heart, sometimes I'll just sit down and write a note and say, hey, I'm just praying for you. I want you, hopefully, guarding your heart, not in a prideful sort of way, but just to let that person know, I was thinking of you at this time. God, put you on my heart. I don't know why. I just want to reach out to you and let you know that I care. You would be shocked how many times you do that, and that person says, you'll never know how much I needed that text message at that moment, or you'll never know how much I needed that note that I got in the mail. It came at just the right time. You don't know that at the time. You're just saying, I just want to reach out and say that I care. On social media, it's hard to know how to navigate this. Uh, somebody puts their prayer request out there on Facebook, and you know you have the person that writes praying in all caps with five exclamation points and the little praying hands emoji. Uh, and then you have the person that writes thoughts and prayers, and then you have the person that writes back, thoughts and prayers aren't enough. And before you know it, what started as a simple prayer request has turned into a, you know, an online feud. Uh, this is kind of the world that we, that we live in. But uh, my, my suggestion once again, and, and don't take this as law, just take this as a suggestion. 
when you text message somebody or put something on social media, it's okay to just put praying. That's okay. Better yet is if you just type out your prayer for that person. Because what you're able to do in that moment is you're able to model gospel-centered prayer. It doesn't have to be showy, especially not on social media. Don't be the person who writes the four-paragraph prayer. But just, just write out what you would want to pray for them if you were with them in that moment. Because like I said, not only are you putting those words out there more than just praying for you, but also you're modeling what gospel-centered prayer can look like. And so, once again, you don't have to take that as law, but we're just trying to model for people what does it look like to pray with focus? How do we pray for worship, discipleship, missions? Number three there, under helps, pray strategically through reminders, lists, daily offices. This is where technology becomes your friend. Uh, I use an app on my phone called Wonderlist, or it's spelled W-U-N-D-E-R, so maybe Wunderlist, like the German, I'm not sure, but I just say wonder list. Uh, so it's my to-do list for my entire life. If the wonder list app ever broke down, I would probably just pack my bags and wave goodbye to you all and, and see you because uh, it's my to-do list for everything that I do. And I have a couple of lists in there related to prayer requests. So if somebody sees me on Sunday morning, says, hey, this is going on, it has to go in the wonder list app if I'm going to remember it on Monday morning when I spend time praying. And so use a list like that. Uh, some of you still carry paper lists. I'm kind of envious of that. But, you know, you, you carry your paper list and you, you write down those prayer requests. Just something because out of sight, out of mind. When it comes to prayer, out of sight, out of mind. If you have a list, it helps you remember, oh, yeah, I remember this was going on. I would be cautious about overly how do you say this, overly long prayer list, because sometimes, here's what, here's what happens, it becomes paralysis by number of names, and so you see this huge list, and you're like, I can never pray for all of them, so I'll pray for none of them, well, that's not the way to go, you want to have something, God, who are you calling me to pray for, how can I focus on these things, number four, pray the gospel, and pray God's word, Baptist churches, not just Baptist churches, but, but a lot of churches are notorious for praying only for toenails and knee surgeries and your neighbor's cousin's brother-in-law's job. Is there anything, with, anything wrong with any of that? No, no, there, there's, a, there's a place for that. Scripture says to pray for physical healing. Scripture says to pray for daily bread, but we're praying those things for a deeper purpose. And Ms. Phyllis's example is perfectly right there. Pray for protection for the person being deployed. Pray especially for that person's salvation. Pray for the person who's facing a physical illness. Pray especially for their spiritual health. If we're not careful, all of our, think about it this way. What if God answered every prayer request on every prayer list at Emmaus? What if God just immediately, in mass, all at once, answered every prayer request on every prayer list at Emmaus? What kind of kingdom impact would result from that? Would a lot of people just feel better physically, or would there be a profound impact for the kingdom of God? 
what are we praying for? What has God called us to pray toward? At the end of your notes down there at the bottom, I just wrote, what is my next step in prayer? What is God calling you to do next? There's several options. You're going to know where you need to go. You're going to know what you need to do. I want you to see a quick testimony on video of the impact that prayer can make, specifically related to our prayer ministry here at Emmaus. After we watch that video, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing a final song together about prayer, and then we're going to set you loose to pray for one another, to go out into the world, to your jobs, to your schools, and pray. First, though, I want you to watch this video from Matt Whitmill, who couldn't be here this morning, but he's going to share a testimony about the prayer ministry here at Emmaus. You guys play that video from, from Matt, if you don't mind. Good morning. My name is Matt Whitmill, and I'm the deacon supporting the prayer room and the prayer gram ministry here at Emmaus. I'm fairly new to the prayer room uh, as a recent participant, uh, even though I've been with the church as a member for over 15 years. I'd heard about the prayer room ministry over the years, but didn't know much about it. Um, until recently, I became a recipient of what I found out was a wonderful ministry here at Emmaus. My brother TJ and I, who also attends Emmaus, lost our mom, Sue Whitmill, to cancer early February. The ordeal, the total ordeal was about a year and a half, and uh, the good news, she beat it, and the bad news, and the inevitable, uh, inevitable bad news when she passed away in early February. During both occurrences, my, my wife and I and TJ and course, my parents uh, started to receive prayer grams from Emmaus. I just want to share what, what that meant to me and my family, and uh, I can tell you now that it meant everything. Many times, most of my family during the last days of my mom's life were huddled together in a little house in Chickasha, um, and uh, many uh, times uh, we were serving my mom and certainly waiting and huddling together and, and really just trying to stay off of each other's nerves, which we failed at. Uh, but uh, it almost always seemed that at the lowest point, we would get the mail. And in the mail would be one of these prayer grams. Uh, we probably received 15, maybe up to 18 or 20 of these prayer grams from the church. And I got to tell you, it was an absolute blessing when those showed up. It was almost as if they were being delivered right when we needed them. Many times we would pass those prayer grams around the room and everyone in my family would see them. And uh, we would look at each other while we read them. And it was always an encouraging time, a smile or something would come up when we weren't smiling before. And it just meant everything uh, to my family. It meant everything to me and my mom and my dad. But uh, I think more importantly, I think what it did was we knew that people were praying for my mom and for us. We knew that was happening. But when we got the prayer gram that really talked about specifics and really about a person stopped their day or committed their time to pray specifically for our situation and took the time to send us a note to let us know they were doing that, that changed the dynamic. I know people are praying, but to know they're praying specifically for me was, was and for my family was absolutely amazing. And it changed my participation in the prayer room. I immediately, going back to... Uh, Matt couldn't be here this morning because he's auditioning for a Japanese game show. Um, so, uh, no, not, not really. Uh, the, uh, the words in the mouth weren't, weren't quite working there. Hey, Matt's going to go on. I'm going to tell you what Matt's going to say right after we cut the, cut the video right there. What Matt is referring to is the prayer ministry here 
at Emmaus in which they're over here in the brick building, make sure I'm pointing the right direction, there is a prayer room where people gather, look through these prayer lists and will write notes to people and then our office staff sends those notes out and just the impact that those notes make in people's lives. You see the quilts around in different places. Those aren't just quilts going out, those are prayer quilts that people have prayed over and the way that God has used that quilt ministry in people's lives. Here's what we want you to give you an opportunity to do. After we dismiss here in just a couple of minutes, when you go through these back doors, just off to the side, there is a table with information about our prayer ministry. If you are not a part of that, we would love for you to be involved. And you say, well, I can't make it up here to the building. That's okay. We, we want it to be okay that if you can't come up here to the prayer room, that you're still saying, I'll take a 30-minute block, or I'll take an hour block, and I will pray every week from my home at that particular time about the things that are going on in the church, and we'll get you that information. We'll send out emails with information of things that you can be praying for in our church. We just want to know that as a church, we are praying together. If it's been a long time since you prayed, your next step might be that tonight you pray with your kids, you pray with your spouse, you pray with a friend, you say, God, I know you're great. I've seen your power at work. Teach me to pray about what you've called us to do as your church. I'm going to pray for us right now. After I do, we're going to stand and sing a final song, and then after that, we'll be dismissed. Let's pray together right now. Father, I love the fact that long before my family ever knew anything about Emmaus, to know that this church was built on a foundation of prayer, God, thank you for people over the last 30 plus years who have prayed for the work of the gospel here at Emmaus. And when we think about what you've called us to do and who you've called us to be, our only hope going forward is to be a church of prayer. God, we need your power at work in our church. Not to make us great, God, but because of your glory and your kingdom. As a church, God, focus us on what really matters. Let us see your greatness. Let us see your purpose for our lives. God, as a church, let us pray that people would be baptized. Let us pray that people would follow you. And let us pray that missionaries and pastors and moms and dads and teachers and doctors and so many others would be sent out from this place to take the good news of Jesus around the world. So God, we give ourselves to you right now, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.